Six Nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six Nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. And to do that, British and Irish Lions, Saracens and England hooker Jamie George is alongside me. How are you, Jamie? All good, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to have you with us uh, for The Ruck. Now, Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. And Jamie is a Funding Circle ambassador because, Jamie, not only are you day-to-day a professional athlete, but you're also a business owner as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, set up a business with a good school friend of mine about six years ago called Carter & George. Um, we're a physio business that effectively tries to deliver the same level of elite care that I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. So the link between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning and rehabilitation, etc. I've been looking for a physio, so... I know a good place. I'll get your card after. Funding Circle has supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So, Jamie, simply, how have Funding Circle helped you? Well, obviously, they've got an amazing um, financial product. So um, our most recent venture is is trying to grow the business as quickly as we can. We've got five clinics now and we're looking to push on. And obviously, we wouldn't have been able to do that without the help of a funding circle and um, the financial support that they were able to give us. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Welcome everybody, thanks for downloading. This is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Will Kelleher here, and look how lucky you all are today. The CVs of the two men joining us today are extraordinary. Between them, they've won 74 international caps, five more for the Lions. They've captained the country for years, and the Lions on two tours. And get this, they've lifted the Six Nations trophy twice, including winning a Grand Slam. Unfortunately for Stephen Jones, our columnist Sam Warburton is doing the heavy lifting in that partnership. Welcome, Sam. Welcome oh, back I, to the room. How many times has Sam Warburton won the Rugby Writer of the Year? <laughs> this is a recording on Monday night and the SJA Awards are tonight. Steve's in the running along with... The absent today, Alex Lowe, what who's preparing for a big evening. Red hot favourite. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> first verdict to the ruck: Alex Lowe or Stephen Jones? Who do you think might lift oh, the trophy? Oh. <laughs> Brutal start. Oh, that's cruel. Well, given his given his roots, I'm going to have to go with Steve. And I I, so uh, yeah, I get I get to stay tight. Got to stay tight. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you up to this weekend, Sam? Just a quiet weekend, was it, with, with the fam? Yeah, it was. It was just a quiet one with the family, actually, which is quite nice. So um, obviously Six Nations time, test test weeks are obviously busy for us all, yeah. aren't they? So when you have a week, I say a weekend off rugby, a weekend off international rugby, mm. um, I do choose to, to spend the time wisely with the family, just so um, I can actually see my daughter on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a busy time in Six Nations, but I love it. It's great. I love the rugby, but a weekend off, I'll max out that with the, with the family. How about you guys? Steve, you're sorry. I went to Saracens and um, it's funny because you're in a phase now, Sam, where, where the, the, like in Wales, the, the clubs never see their, their top players. Mm. But actually, yeah. Saris have, have got a, a decent academy and they, they they look really strong. They really beat Leicester by more than the score suggests. So it was, it was a really good game. And also, Saris have now got their, their new stadium open or their full stadium open. So it was good. It's a bit cold, but it, 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 it was good. But... Um, some stage, uh, well, they've never done it yet. Some stage, they're going to have to stop the overlap between the players playing for their clubs and country. But uh, there's no sign of it. anyone's got any bright ideas for it. That's, mm. that's for sure. It's a nightmare that you're looking at the Premiership season at the moment, and it's really going well, isn't it? And they're tight games all over the place, but they're absent of their stars for such a big period all, all the time, aren't they? 
I mean, that, that I think that's a good step in the right direction from the URC. I, mm. I know it's pre-COVID, but there's obviously some rearranged games in in test weeks now. But initially, there was going to be minimal games played during the international windows, which I thought was really smart. You know, that's sure. kind of what I've always wanted rugby to do. But obviously, COVID's kind of forced its hand and there, there are a few more games than normal being rearranged. But I do feel that. I mean, God, we could open up a can of worms here, but I do feel if there's a way we can structure the global season or the seasons where you can play international rugby and then play club rugby with all your big hitters. And it's going to need someone much cleverer than me to figure out how that would work. But mm. I do wonder whether the only way for that to work would have to be the less is more routes because you can't, there's a lot of games now and you just have to try and have, there's obviously have to be less games. Yes. So the product would obviously be better, but I wonder whether that's the way, but again, you know, money dictates a lot of these decisions and, this is obviously a big discussion right now with player welfare. And I know players, like, you know, I've spoken to players who are playing now and they're like, I've had three games last season. Mm-hmm. And they ha- they'd happily take a pay cut to play less games, you know, but you c- how can you say that to your head coach? You know, you can't. So <laughs> sure. and a lot of these players, they don't say anything while they're playing because you can't bite the hand that feeds you. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a very difficult situation. So that's why it takes players till they retire to say what they think because, they're not going to be worried that their livelihood is going to be ripped up over the course of a weekend. Yeah, you know? yeah, so yeah. It's a t- they're in a tough position. That's why they need strong player representatives to support them. But I don't think anything's going to change, to be honest. Yeah. If you, yeah. Well, look, we're straight into the meat of it, but um, we'll just pause for a second there and um, get into the Six Nations chat in a minute. So we're going to look ahead to the next round of the tournament, including Wales hosting France on Friday night, as well as England against Ireland and Italy, Scotland. Jess Hayden has our women's roundup. We'll touch on the Premiership again and name our God, Goddess or Devil of the Week. Sam, you better have a little think about that for the end of the pod. (laughs) Uh, But first, we'll focus on Wales hosting France this Friday. It looks from the outside that could be a belting game. Friday night in Cardiff, you've got French hurtling round the corner on a run. Where are the thoughts? Where are the emotions? How do you sort of pitch this one if you're in the Wales camp to start with? It's just strange the situation I'm in because I can plonk myself on the sort of journalist side of the fence uh, yeah. and look at it objectively. And then I can plonk myself, which feels like it's still not long ago, straight back into the team environment mm, mm. where I'd be absolutely raring to go and loving it because I used to remember doing press conferences. I'd sit down and, you know, you boys would would be there and you know somebody would ask um oh can you beat France you know because they, they want the headline yes you know, <laughs> they just want the definitive yes yeah. Warburton says Wales will beat France you know but like so I just remember thinking right I can't do this anymore because you know you're damned if you do damned if you don't so I remember thinking well and I, I said this one time and this is how I feel now with Wales if you said to me are we better than France categorically no of mm. course we're not better than France of course France I think are arguably the best team in the world right now can we beat France? Absolutely. So, like, that's how I sort of feel with this game. Like, yeah, France, of course, are red hot favourites. And I, if I had, obviously, we can't bet. That's the touchy subject. But if I had to, just just for the sake of the argument, you know, you know yeah. what I mean. If I had to put money down, I'd obviously put it down on France. But if Wales win, I would not be surprised in the slightest because mm. they just have this strange resilience which just comes out every now and then. But of course, France are red hot. But yeah, coming to Cardiff and anybody who's, who was at Cardiff for the Scotland game will realise it's just different. It's different now, particularly with COVID and stuff with the atmosphere. That'll be a big plus. I expect France to win, but can Wales win? Yes, of course they can. And I wouldn't be surprised. And I also think the Six Nations... We always have an upset, which sort of throws us off. I yeah. thought it might have been Scotland against France a couple of weekends ago, but I was absolutely blown away by how good France were, which is why I'm not, I wouldn't say concerned for Wales, but I mean, if France turn up at the same level as they were then, then I think there will be one winner. Mm-hmm. Um, but France were just, I thought, and people said to me, because I, I said in my column uh, with the Times, you know, I, I, France have arrived. And somebody said, where have you been? You've been living under a rock for the last 12 months. I said, no, but you know, every every team is, has that emotional peak where in a season, like when they beat New Zealand. And they were at home, of course, you know, and they played Argentina. I think it was Georgia the other game. They were mm. always going to win those. But to actually go, then obviously their first two Six Nations games were at home. I was impressed mm. them against Ireland. But to go away from home and not just beat Scotland, but they put them to the sword, yeah. good and proper. Yeah. I remember thinking, all right, 
This is now six wins in a row against good opposition. I think that they're here and they mean business. So, mm. yeah, given what I saw a couple of weekends ago, France are looking brilliant and can be very hard to stop them winning a Grand Slam. It just strikes me that, it, it, amazingly, in the first time I can ever remember, there are apparently loads and thousands and thousands of tickets left, which which I find ast- astonishing. All right, I mean, I, I know that they're expensive, but would, would that cast a bit of a... A, a dark pall over proceedings if, if for the team that because they're expecting ev- the whole country to be behind them I mean if there's empty seats that is a real downer isn't it yeah I'll be honest I've turned up I mean I, I can't ever remember being empty for someone like France for example and that's when mm. France weren't the team that they are now you know that would still be a sellout at home but I remember playing games against perhaps some tier two opposition and when you go out for the anthem of course playing for Wales is one of the proudest moments of your life but when you stand at the anthem and then you look around the three tiers, then suddenly the top of the third tier looks a bit scattered and there's not people there. Hmm. It is a little bit like, oh, all right, you know, well, you only have when we play England. You know, like, where's all the fans now? Like, you know, like yeah. it is a little bit, I'm like, oh, where's the faith in the team then? So, yeah, I'd urge people to go down because, well, it does make a huge difference. But yeah, you're right, Steve. It is a little bit of a downer. You, you'll never take away the pride of playing for Wales. And, and how immensely proud those for the players and the families and stuff. But yeah, as yeah. a player, it's almost like a little bit of a lack of faith, really. That's sure. how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, I've just had the WIU on the phone and they've said, can you get onto Westgate Street, sandwich board, <laughs> <laughs> ringing a big bell. Come on, everyone, get down. <laughs> I was walking through Westgate Street for the first time the other day when um, we played Scotland. I thought, you know what? I'm going to walk through mm. to the stadium. The car. I, I thought, I normally get a car in and I park underneath about three, four hours will kick off because the road's closed. Lovely. Yeah. Um, and I just sit in the car for like two hours going over my notes before we meet for, you know, whoever I'm covering the game with. But this time I thought, no, I'll get a taxi in later so I can spend a bit more time with the family in the morning. I've done all my prep work anyway. But then obviously you can't get within half a mile of the stadium. Mm. So I thought, right, I'll walk in. And it was so nice just walking in, just seeing all the crowd, the atmosphere. Because I've never yeah. experienced it, ever. Yeah. You know? So it was great yeah. seeing the Buzz pre-match. Because you guys talk about it. And like you're not the longest players. But I'm like, well, I don't know what that's like. Because yeah, you go into no, the stadium, sure. you mm. get parachuted in, you get parachuted out. So it was great to see the home fans there. But yeah, I do hope that they can they can sell it out. So it'll make a good difference. What, what were the sights that you saw that you thought, God, I didn't realise that this was going on outside the crowd? <laughs> it's like, it's very different to Twickenham. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember going to Twickenham for the first time. Um, and, you know, and it's very like, it's, they put on a, you know, there's loads of hospitality there, lots of people having um, picnics in the car park and mm. their cars. Mm. And, um, you know, it's all very, you know, it's great atmosphere. But then when you get the bus then into Principality or down Westgate Street, then there's people with like you know daffodil hats on, pints of wine, like going crazy, and it's like, oh, this is Wales, you know, I love yeah, it. So yeah. it's it's very different, but two great atmospheres, you know. But yeah, I do love. I, I've already seen it on the bus, of course. That's right before kickoff, which is obviously bonkers. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got videos on my phone. Just I, I can't believe you know, that people go have that much emotion and enthusiasm, which is amazing. But as a player, it's the same. Like you don't wait till the anthem to see who's in the stadium. You wait till you turn right to go up Westgate Street mm-hmm. and then the horses suddenly trot you in and you can you get a gist for how big the game is from the streets yeah, from that yeah. and, and it normally has a good reflection on what happens in the stadium as well so when it's bouncing outside it's bouncing inside as well mm-hmm. so players get that you know all that infiltrates and will can affect them so when there's massive support there it has a huge effect I'm interested to know obviously this Friday's a night game as well um, late kickoff you played in a few of those what difference does that make as a player how does that change your day do you are there some people that hate them because they're spending all day walking around the hotel room and don't know when to eat and all that sort of stuff? What is it? What's the material impact of you on a player at those late kickoffs? I hated it and I loved it. I loved having the weekend off after normally because you get Saturday, Sunday off. But I hated. You're right. Well, like I, I was very unsociable as a player on match day. Some guys love going for coffees and trying to make the day pass like that. I kind of get up eat food, hibernate back in my room for three hours, mm. go back to the team room, have food, hibernate in my room for another three hours. This probably isn't the best way and that's when you probably feel more anxious, but that's just how I manage match day. So I, I hated, hated with a passion match day until kickoff, but then when you play, never had an ounce of nerves when I played ever, but the build-up before was was horrible. And speaking to a lot of players and ex-players, 
they feel the same, which is mm. quite comforting. Yeah. Mm. And no, no one's crying us any rivers, but I think, Steve, you're already nervous about the final day, aren't you? The, the late deadline, oh, Saturday the night. In yeah, but I mean, no Paris. one knows about them. I, I, <laughs> I, just, I just think it's so difficult to move around on a Friday. You know, if you come in, if you come in down the M4 through Newport, which is a disaster anyway, even without <laughs> yeah. the rugby, you know. Bring glass tunnels. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> Look, I, they, 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 they must be huge. I mean, there's huge TV audience on a Friday. It's peak time on a Friday across the nation on 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 um, terrestrial TV. You can't really get past that. It's a bloody great thing for the game. Mm. It really is. And I, I, you know, I remember what, covering the Welsh Slam in 2019, and the first game they had was Paris that um, Friday night when they were 16 nil down and ended up winning, didn't they? And oh, I remember yeah. that. The lads there were saying they didn't get to sleep until about four in the morning because you're so high on adrenaline oh, and caffeine and everything yeah. else. That must be weird as well. It's horrible in a sense. When you play in France as well, it's always the hour later as well because of the time difference, you know. So if it's kickoff here at seven o'clock, well, you're kicking off at eight or nine over there, you know. So you obviously have the game, then you have, well, pre-COVID as well, you'd have your post-match function and the yeah. French love a post-match function. You know? they, <laughs> Meats and cheeses, is it? Red wine? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you nail it on the head. And it's like speeches and um, very formal, but then you know, it takes a long time to get the speeches done. You go back to the hotel at like one in the morning. Mm. Um, and then, but then, because obviously when you have a late kickoff, you take very high caffeine sort yeah. of energy drinks beforehand. So it's the equivalent of maybe you know, five coffees, you know, at like sort of seven, eight o'clock just before you go out and it's like mm. a shot. Um, so you have like, you know, 350 milligrams of caffeine, you know, just before you go out, which, you know, say, I think the coffee is about 70, 80. So that's kind right, of a stronger yeah. caffeine. So then you get back and they don't like giving sleeping pills to boys, but after a game, they would give you a sleeping pill because the best form of recovery is sleep. Yeah, you yeah, can have yeah. all the nutrition and cryotherapy in the world. If but getting eight hours sleep, nine hours sleep after a game is the single best thing you can do for your body. So you'd end up, I'd end up taking paracetamols, night tablets, um, like night sleeping pills, then like night remedies, just to try and get off at a reasonable hour. So that's the only negative, that's the pros and cons. That's a nightmare. It's a nightmare then, mm. and it sort of ruins you. You're all out of sync then the next day. So late kickoffs, good things and bad things, but yeah, the caffeine's a nightmare, you're right. Steve's just making notes about the post-match regime there. Just make sure he's <laughs> yeah. right for the <laughs> What about the, so Steve, let's get onto the rugby itself. Um, we were talking on the last pod about if the French were to do it, it'd be one of the great slams because mm. they're really dominating at the moment. Mm where do you pitch them in sort of the great teams you've seen I mean it might be a bit early to make them great yet it's a bit early to make them great but we, we've kind of in neutrals well there aren't any neutrals in Six Nations but part of, part of you always thinks God if France are, are great it's just a good thing for the game yeah because it's good in representing the Northern Hemisphere against the South and, and, and everything because it's so glamorous but I just wonder whether I mean, what this team has got, in my opinion, and I just wondered what Sam would think in terms of the Welsh team, that they're huge men, Sam. Cyril Bay up front and Antonio, these two props. And, and then they've got Wocky, uh, Velimsa. But but some, someone or somehow they've got fit and, and fast. I mean, Antonio is one time when he couldn't move. Now he's quick. <laughs> and it just worries me that Wales... Have Wales have a pack that's serviceable and decent in the scrum, but if if France pick up the pace and they're so huge, you know you almost wonder whether we'll be uh, Wales will be swept away or at least on the back foot. No, you're right, Steve, and it's very simple. Of course, there's many more intricate things in the game like kicking and set piece and stuff. But I, I do say this with rugby, um, and you can't skirt around it. Big man beats small man uh, mm. in most situations, and. I, I I wonder whether Sean Edwards has come in and really given him a kick at the backside because he's that sort of person. And he would say, if you want to defend my way, you've got to be relentless for 80 minutes. I can't have you dipping in and out of games mm -hmm. like they've perhaps been guilty of in the past. And I remember a conversation he had with a Wales prop who's still in and out of the system now. And I remember I was picking up uh, my food along the along the lunchtime, like along the sort of buffet sort of table. And he, um, he was in the queue as well. And this one player didn't really look after his diet. And Sean like, is just a straight shooter and he doesn't really engage in a whole lot of conversation with players, you know, outside of training. And he just, um, out of the blue, just went, if you sorted your diet, you'd be a decent player. You need to sort the diet out. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I remember this player, yeah. But I remember thinking though, but he was, I won't say who the player was, but I remember thinking, he's spot on. Yeah. And it's probably what I was thinking. 
And he's like, mate, if you want to defend for me, you're not going to be able to defend for me eating that, looking like that. You mm. need to sort yourself out. You need to get fitter. And I'm pretty sure he would have had those pretty stern conversations with the French. And, you know, he knows what a winning environment looks like. I'm pretty sure he would have said, yeah, you've got great natural skill level. You've got great size. You've got great appetite to attack. But I'm not seeing an appetite to defend. And I'm not seeing a fitness level that can sustain it. And I imagine, you know, I imagine he would have gone in and done that. And because he's demanded that from the players, you can see it. Their appetite to defend is enormous. But yeah, seeing guys like Antonio running off 10 in the midfield, not just running a short line off nine like most teams, they've got Willemsen, these boys running off 10 mm-hmm. into centres th- and they're causing damage. I'm thinking, flipping heck. Like, <laughs> that's why I'm so impressed by them because they've got the physicality and they've got the speed and tempo to match it as well. And mm-hmm. most teams only have one or the other. They don't have both at the minute. France have got both and that's why they're pulling teams apart. So no one's matched that so far. Ireland blitz Wales physically and France managed to keep them at bay. They kept yeah. them at jab's length all game. Um, so I do fear if, if you can't match France physically, you can have all the kicking strategies in the world and set piece and things like that. But rugby is a 15s anyway, international level, is a brutal physical sport where, mm. you know, more often than not, I'd like people to tell me when, the last time they saw a team get physically dominated but won the game. I, yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. that too many times. The only only time might be I can remember is maybe Japan against Africa in the World Cup. There's not many. Yeah, there's not many. There's not many games, you know, so most physical team normally win. So huge challenge for Wales in that sense. You mentioned Sean Edwards there and I'm fascinated about the psychology of the final two weeks. You've been there in 2012. As much as we all make a big deal about it. The players will try and do it down the whole Grand Slam chat, won't they? What was it like when you were in Wales camp? What were people like Sean Edwards like when you knew it was on and it was just trying to stay calm and not play the game before you play the game kind of thing? Yeah. If France do a good job this this Friday, I'll be even more impressed because this is when it starts really ramping up the pressure. Like you say, until week three, yeah, the Grand Slam, things linger in the background, but there's a long way to go. When you're suddenly, you have your sort of fallow week and then obviously a lot of players get released you go into training there's only like 19 20 of you and everything's really chilled you know the sessions are still tough but there's there's much less press around no media you know it's a much more relaxed week boys will come back in today monday test week everyone's back in press duties are straight back and then like you've got the grand slam around the corner now the pressure is enormous and you can't escape it there's yeah. no, you can't escape it. There's, there's nothing a coach can say which just suddenly makes you feel, oh, oh yeah, actually, let's just enjoy it. It's fine. <laughs> you, know, you know the Grand Slam is there. And some of my worst training sessions as a team was on these weeks and the last mm. couple of weeks running in. And I remember like 2012 Grand Slam. God, I sound old going all the way back. But we had this session which was horrific. Like, <laughs> I can't even put a, a, why it was so bad. I remember Adam Jones, it takes a, a senior player. Maybe just got all the boys in on that the Thursday. It's like, right, stop, stop, stop. Calm down. There's no, like, I remember he said there's no, and I remember saying this when I went on, when I was Captain Lions tours, because we had some bad team runs day for a game. And he was mm. right. I remember, there's no correlation having a good session and playing well on the weekend. Like, there's not. <laughs> yeah. So just get yourself in the right space that you need to get in to play a game, do the tick boxes you need to do in the week, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, and your recovery, and your sessions, your extras, but just focus on what you've got to do over the next two days to get you to reach that emotional and physical peak and just focus on that. Because if everybody just focuses on their own little cog, then when we turn up together on Friday night this week, for example, focus on your cog and then those 23 cogs put together perfectly, we will win, you know? So just focus on your own individual role. So, so Sam, you really, uh, honestly, you know, made me really excited for, for, for it now by the way you, you explain uh, the Grand Slam, et cetera. We've, we've had, I mean, I hate... Uh, the one thing I hate with uh, Eddie Jones is this thing about, look, we're concentrating on the World Cup. We're aiming at the World Cup. We'll be a great side at the World Cup and, 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 and diminishing the importance of the home season. But the Grand Slam, first of all, it's unbelievably difficult to win, in my opinion, because you've got to, you've got to win each game and, and each game's tight. And, and But also, when you do win it, there's a certain glory. I mean, remember when Wales won the last one, there was reception at the at the Senate and, 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 and you know, it, it, it really it really put bums on seats. It, 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 you can't win the World Cup every year, but you can win the Grand Slam every year, and surely it's worth winning. 
I've been in eight Six Nations campaigns, and I can honestly say the na- the word World Cup would never have been mentioned in any eight of those campaigns. Yeah. It's all about winning the Six Nations. And I'll I, I, be honest, World Cup wouldn't even be crossing my mind right now if I was in a Six Nations yeah. campaign, mm-hmm. uh, and it was 18 months away. It's all about lifting that championship and lifting that trophy. That's what it's all about. So, yeah, that surprised me as well. And I don't think decisions at Six Nations level, any selection decisions should be made on the World Cup 18 months' time. It should be about winning the Six Nations. Yeah, summer tour maybe, then the next autumn internationals maybe. Um, the Six Nations prior, yeah, you want to put some faith and some trust in guys who you know, need to get used to playing in away environments if a World Cup's around the corner. But this year, 18 months out, World Cup would never, ever have been mentioned in my experience. And I find that quite strange as well. Mm. If France were to do the job in in Wales and then were to do the job at home to England on the final day, that tees up the next year amazingly, doesn't it? Like French winning a Grand Slam a year out from their home World Cup, having beaten the All Blacks too, that's tasty, isn't it? It's exactly what we want, really. Yeah. Um, And like, don't get me wrong, we saw what happened in 2011 to New Zealand when they were mm. the dominant force and they had a far from convincing World Cup campaign, but they won and that's the main thing and they yeah. deserved to win. And um, when you look back, that was a phenomenal all-black side who went on to win in 15 again. But can you imagine the pressure of the French at home after all this <laughs> 12, 18 months build-up if they do go into a home World Cup, seeded number one, having put every team in world rugby to the sores on the way. It's exactly what England did in 2003. And they yeah. backed it up again in, in 2003. That's why I was so impressed with that England team because I remember thinking, wow, they've won a Grand Slam. Before that, they beat all three Southern Hemisphere teams. Mm. I think they even went to New Zealand and beat New Zealand there yeah, as well. Wellington, 2002. Yeah. 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 Uh, so if France can continue on this run, if they did win the World Cup, I think it would be the first time. And mind you, there's a lot of rugby till then. But you're right, it's teeing up to be a team that would finally, for the first time in the Northern Hemisphere, rival that England team of 2003. Yeah. Sam, I just wonder, we, we've been a lot about France. So Wales have got a certain amount of, uh, of strengths to throw at them. I mean, it's amazing how well um, Falato played last week after playing no, no rugby at all. Um, and, and also, I don't know if you agree, the Welsh line-out seems to be okay um, we were talking before we came on the air about how well Nick Tompkins is playing. Wales have got a certain amount to throw to throw back at them, haven't they? Oh, yeah, that's why I'm... In, in a weird way, of course it would be a, an upset. It would be a massive upset. But then if Wales just, like, pulled out this hugely resilient performance... And the thing with Wales, I've heard a lot of teams say this, they're the sort of team, and it, it happened in Scotland, you don't want to get in an arm wrestle with. Mm-hmm. If they can stay within seven points, then... They're a tough team to beat because they've got players who are have got Naus and, and Niggly and still got a little bit of X factor who can score from nothing. Mm. You know, if Wales can stay within seven, then I think they they'll always be good. When when they go quite far behind, like say England or Ireland, then yeah, they throw caution to the wind and they can look all right. But I tend to find they're better in arm wrestles. It seems to be mm, um, yeah. in the last couple of weekends. But yeah, I, I expect France will be red hot for a good start because Scotland started really well. They scored an 18-phase try with Darcy Graham in the corner against Wales, but Wales managed to claw their way back. So they, they let the game go away from early, but they managed to crawl it back. But they didn't get the game back early enough against Ireland and against England, and it was just too much too much, too, too late then. So Wales have to stay in the game in the first 20. You know, France have come out. They're one of those teams who can probably similar to like Argentina maybe. They can just hit an emotional peak that yeah. not many other nations do for some reason. I have no idea why. So if they can ride that wave in the first 20 minutes and stay within a score, then yeah, great. It'll be game on, make it an arm wrestle, put France under a lot of pressure. Like every high ball they receive, every kick will be cheered and booed. And, you know, it will be a hostile environment for mm. the French. Mm. So they want to make it hostile. Even though France have been so dominant in the last 12, 18 months, they haven't been too dominant away from home in hostile environments. They did it against Murrayfield, which is why I was so impressed. And that's why if they do it again in Wales, I'd be like, okay, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure who's going to beat this team. So that's why I'm really intrigued to see if they can back it up again to really just put a message out to European rugby, world rugby. Listen, no one can knock us over no matter what you throw with us. And that would yeah. be impressive. So verdict on the game then, quick one before we move on. Um, Wales or France, Steve? I, th- I think France will win. And I think it'd be a lot tighter than people think. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not within a score. Yeah. Sam? 
Agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I agree with Steve. I think it could be like a, a seven, eight point win for France. I think yeah. Wales might surprise people, show some resilience, but I think France will probably be a very deserved winner, but I think mm-hmm. Wales will make it closer than people think. Great. So next we're going to chat about the other Six Nations matches this weekend, including England hosting Ireland at Twickenham. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium-sized UK businesses because, Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Rhys Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, We've been up and running for about six years now and sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle. Yes, England, Ireland. Uh, I don't know, I was saying this earlier off air that I sometimes find England Ireland a bit of a strange week in a weird way um, should we start with I suppose the English angle of it is this a too early Steve to say it's a bit of a make or break game for Eddie and his new project no it's not too early because only it's been we've had the last 25 games have been make or break it seems to me <laughs> and I still and I still don't think he's still talking the hind legs off a donkey but there is no, in my opinion, there's no, there's no cohesion there. You're not quite sure what they're trying to do. What they say they're trying to do changes every week. The players they want to do it changes every week. Okay, there's some trouble with injuries. The leader, he has no idea who the captain should be. That changes every week as well. And I, I, I think Eddie really, I think he should have given them the week off and let them sort themselves out because they're just getting more and more confused. I think they've got some great players. I don't think they're a great team, but I, I, I think that they really have to do well because Ireland, for me, are as big a favourite as France are in in Wales. Mm. Just a note on the comings and goings to sort of do the admin. So Sam Underhill's back in the squad because Tom Curry's going through the return to play protocols on a concussion. Alex Dombrandt picked up COVID on Friday, so May, if he put test negative, come back into the squad on Wednesday. Um Jamie Blamey is probably going to go onto the bench because Luke Cowan Dickey's injured, so Jamie George likely to start. Still no Manu Tuolangi, he's not fit. Um, and that's kind of it. There's a couple of others. Alex Mitchell's in for Rafi Quirk and... Um, oh, Nick Dolly. Nick Dolly, there you go. He, Nick Dolly's also in the squad. It's um, terrible when they don't do the research before they come on, Sam, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so Sam, what do, you, what do you make of England? I mean, Eddie keeps talking about their profligacy and attack and he's trying to nail that to the mast what have you made of them so far yeah I mean I was going to ask you boys this as well because normally when you have a team if you say like what do they hang their hat on or I said right sum up if I said to you now sum up France in three words I'm sure we'd all have a pretty close dab but we'd be something like speed breakdown do point like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah do point yeah and power you know yeah. like you know we, we'd all be pretty certain like we could probably come up with three words which you'd all agree on but if, if I said to you now like right what three words sum up England mm. um, I, I don't think we'd it would be much more of a discussion you know I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. like are they the powerhouse outfit they used to be are they the the mauling set piece team they used to be are they the speed team that they want to be I, I'm not sure like right now they're sort of still in evolution aren't they mm-hmm. you know and I'm not sure like before when they had the spine of say like Mako and obviously Maro was still there but then it was Billy and then Owen Farrell and mm-hmm. Ford and Manu and like we kind of knew 
that power game was coming and you, you knew what England were about and you had Underhill, Curry, Laws off every defensive line melting people like mm. but we don't we don't we don't see that now you know mm. we don't see that we don't see that kicking battle oh they're kicking team like England before you'd be like line speed kicking set piece mm. like that that's what we would have said about England going back a couple of years ago but now I, I I'm not sure and that's why like every game I watch I'm actually intrigued to yeah they play quick against Italy but I, I if I was playing now I wouldn't no disrespect I wouldn't analyze any team who played against Italy yeah, you know yeah, because yeah. they're going to play a different game against them given the, the lack of quality so I don't know. I, I, it's like a very, um, it's not the answer that you probably want, but that's why I'm still oh. watching England with intrigue to find out what, what they do and how they play. Because I'm not sure what they hang their hat on right now. I think this is a great answer, Sam, because I think you just proved the, the point. I mean, you, you gave three words for France and then I'm trying to think of one word for England, even one word. You know, I mean, inconsistent, but that's 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 a, that's a negative. <laughs> mm. I, I honestly, I honestly don't think they got it right, and yet I totally agree with you there. Totally Just from an, you mentioned that you wouldn't analyse Italy. Is it you will have had um, years where you have an Italy game sort of in the wrong place, if you know what I mean, um, in the schedule? It must be annoying in one way for Ireland that they've gone fallow week a sort of nothing game against Italy that was kind of ruined as an exercise because of that 13-men yeah. thing, then another week off, and then England. There's sort of no momentum in there at all for them, is there? Yeah, you're right. They haven't been exercised properly for, what would that be, three weeks, four yeah. weeks? It's not ideal. You know, England are coming off the back of a, a, a good, intense game against Wales, you know, which would have really exercised them and they get a lot of learnings from it. Um, but yeah, I think that Italy in the middle, like Italy kind of want first or last really you kind of want them first yeah, up yeah. so you can get the cobwebs off or you want them last so if you're going into <laughs> grand sand decider <laughs> it's a, a little bit less pressure yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. without sounding disrespectful um because i love italy i would i'd love them to be competitive but right now mm. they're not let's just call yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. um so yeah th- you're right actually yeah, that that would be interesting i think that would be a very valid point if there was a poor start um mm. it's just not being able to hit your straps for for four weeks but i'm sure Ireland won't have a problem with that given the experience in their coaching and playing camp, you know. Yeah. So I think that's going to be um, brilliant. Again, I think that's a brilliant game, but I would expect and, and predict Ireland would, would come out on top on that one. Just a, a quick note on um, Andy Farrell. Talk to us about your knowledge and memories of working with him and what he did to those lines teams and all that. One of the best coaches I've ever had. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. I I haven't got a, I genuinely haven't got a bad word to say about Andy Farrell. Um mm. whenever mm. he's I think the one massive thing that he has is because of obviously his amazing playing credentials. When he talks in a meeting, I couldn't help but think like like you, you've got to win your players over as a coach. That's always the hardest thing a player a coach has is to win over your playing group and to get them to do whatever you want. When Andy Farrell speaks. All I want is his respect as a player. Mm. I just want him to look at me and think, Warburton, tough player, uncompromising. I want him in my team. That that's like the you can have all the plaudits you want, but when you get yeah, when you've got someone of that ilk, you know, who respects you, that's what it's all about. That's what you want to win as a player. So I used to never listen to him thinking, God, I love I would have loved to have played with him. I could Mm. imagine being the same team as him, you know, just like such an amazing player, personality. The standards he demands, his knowledge on the game, tough man. I think, oh wow, what a so to have him spearhead an island. That's why when you see the ruthless performances against Wales in week one, doesn't surprise me because I've seen what he's like and what emotional state he can get teams in in a test week. So yeah, Andy Farrell, great, great coach. So when Ireland were in a bit of a sticky period, never for a second worried that they weren't in, in the right hands. Yeah, you know, I knew yeah knew they would come through eventually. Uh, and I'm glad they've obviously stuck with him, which they obviously were never going to get rid of Andy Fowl in such short space of time with just one small blip of a season. But yeah, it's coming through now and um, phenomenal coach. I haven't got a bad word to say about him. Yeah. Uh, Steve, interesting with Andy Fowl, isn't it? That there seems to be a narrative that he's being built up to be the next England head coach and whether he wants it or not is maybe another thing but is it a bit disrespectful maybe sometimes to always think that England is this great pinnacle for these other coaches well absolutely I mean look I suppose you're only as good as your last coach if you're England but also I think Farrell's the sort of man what we do as you know Will we speculate we have a list of here's the next six people in Mm. charge is Nick Mallett Razzy Erasmus but actually 
I'm sure Farrell. I'm sure Farrell <laughs> has not given it a, a two seconds about mm. oh where do I go next or anything like that because I just think he's he's probably still trying to prove live down his experience in 2015 and I just think you know this the tribute Sam's just paid to him um, uh, I just carry on and if if anyone wants me. They'll have to, you know... Blank check. Well, give, give me a blank check, absolutely. Why, why would he not ask for a yeah, blank check? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. yeah. He's a professional, he's not a charity, yeah. you know. Did you find... I mean, there was always a little bit of a narrative, wasn't there, about Warren Gatland in England. Now, he probably never actually courted it or anything like that, but did you always find that weird, Sam? No, it, was, it was funny. I remember Gatland addressed it once. He was obviously in the press. Yeah. And um, he just said... It was like a meeting. He just went, boys... Um, Oh, and he would. He'd often address if there was something controversial in the press. He'd be like, boys, you might have seen some speculation about myself joining England, mm. um, but don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. They couldn't afford me. <laughs> and he just carried on, <laughs> and carried on the meeting, and that was it. Uh, that was it. Like, so, um, yeah, I kind of, don't get me wrong, if, I, I would have been shocked if he went, but I never, the, the, the amount of passion that um, he sort of demonstrated while he was coaching us, I never for a second thought he'd, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. he'd leave to go to go to England. I always thought he would go back, but like he is to New Zealand, of course he would. That's where he's brought up and is where his roots are. And I know he would have missed a lot of his kids growing up from spending so much time in Wales and he used to travel over a lot. Um, so I knew he'd probably more than likely go back to New Zealand and spend some time with the family. But yeah, I didn't mm. for a second think he'd join England. But quick verdict then, um, England-Ireland Saturday. Steve? I think if, I, if Ireland start well... They'll be too good in in too many areas, and they could win by something like nine nine to eleven, something like that. Okay, Sam. Yeah, I'm going to go Ireland by eight. Cool. Okay. All right, cross the board. Everyone's in agreement. This is dull. It's a, Unbelievable. It's a good one. I don't know why so it's good Sam, for me. Yeah. Sam's backing Italy to beat Scotland. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we better just cover off that quickly. I mean, still yet, Italy haven't won um, for a long time, but. You'd expect Scotland to bounce back and beat them in Rome there. You would do, but it's a shame because when this season started, Scotland were going to be thought they were going to be contenders and yeah. now you're trying to beat Italy to get anything out of the season, which is a shame. I really, really would love to see someone come through from Italy to, to in the whether it's in the European Cup or in the Six Nations to, 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 to be international class. I've had enough of... Not, not, sorry, that's a bit unkind. They're, they've been promising for too long. Mm. Yeah, and a very quick word on Scotland there, Sam. I mean, they've, they've had their sort of one marquee win of the season, which often happens, but they need another, I suppose, to make it a better tournament. Yeah, they, you know, they've got to win. For Scotland to think they're progressing, they've got to win at least three, really, you know. And, mm. and to be fair, mm. they are playing in a Six Nations era, which is, and I'll be honest, much more difficult than what I played in. You know, when I played in, there was probably three teams who were going to realistically challenge, you know, most mm. years, where now you're looking at, potentially, you know, five teams could on their day topple each other over. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that disrespectfully when I say five with Italy. I would love nothing more than Italy to turn up and win on the weekend and prove people wrong. Like, I would love there to be six competitive teams in a fantastic country like Italy who've already got, you know, professional teams playing in Europe and things. Like, of course, the easiest thing would be Italy to turn up and win. I, I really hope they do turn up. But the problem is, is like, and we would be saying this, that the glaring problem is they go, oh, they got Garbisi who's good and they've got so-and-so who's good. I'm like, what What good international team has been built around three players? Yeah, Never. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you need, you you need like, like, that was Scotland's problem. Like, people always said, oh, they could put out a good 15. Now they can got, they've got a good 23 and now they're, they're competing even though they're not where they are. But I think that's the strength of the other teams. But, mm, mm. you know, Italy, until they get 23, at least 15, top players then we're not going to see that consistency so that, that's where the big problem is we can't hope for a couple of players to come through it's great that there's, uh, there are some good youngsters but hopefully that trend continues over the next few years to supplement them as well and we can see a strong a strong 15 in years to come yeah so that's that's our six nations chat then done for for this week and next we'll round up a few of the premiership results and have our good goddess or maybe a devil of the week but first jess hayden rounds up the latest in the women's game <laughs> The Premier 15's leaders, Saracens, have confirmed their home semi-final after they survived a second-half comeback by Sale Sharks to win 41-33. But it was perhaps Wasps who had the most exciting weekend of all. Playing at the CBS Arena, they beat defending champions Harlequins 
for the first time in five years and for the first time in the history of the Premier 15s with a bonus point victory. The defeat of Harlequins paved the way for Exeter Chiefs to move up to third place in the table as they put 14 tries against DMP Durham Sharks to win 97. A Gloucester Hartbury draw with Worcester Warriors closed up this round, but as the season takes a break for the women's six stations, it's worth reminding you what is left to play for. Each team in the league is competing for a top four place, and at the end of the regular season, the top-ranked team plays the fourth team and the second team plays the third team in the semi-finals. The top two teams have a home advantage and the date for this year's semi-finals is the 21st of May. The winners will then play at a venue yet to be confirmed on the 4th of June to decide the winner of the league. As the Premier 15s takes a short hiatus now, attention can finally turn to the Women's Six Nations, which begins on Saturday the 26th of March. So let's just touch very briefly on the Prem, um, if we can. We'll try and get fully into it after the Six Nations, but we're a bit distracted at the moment. But Steve, you were at Sarri's, you enjoyed that, as you were saying. And yeah. another good and close weekend of results in the Premiership across the board, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. Um, the, I think the two highlights were on the weekend was ex- Saracens started putting the team together that, that they see as their full team, even without mm. their England players. That was A. And B, actually the Chiefs are clearly now... Uh, restored and and are gonna are gonna have a good run in. So those are those are the those are the main things. Sale Sharks got a great side on paper. They can't quite make that breakthrough. So it was uh, it was a really really good weekend. Um, and uh, I think that some of the big teams are now stirring. Yeah, absolutely. So just a quick run through the results. So Quinns beat Newcastle twenty four ten on Friday night. Bath snuck past Bristol twenty nine twenty seven. Gloucester beat Northampton thirty five thirty. London Irish. They're still under the radar, aren't they, really? 43-12 against Worcester. Sarries beat Leicester 34-27, as Steve mentioned. And then on Sunday, yeah, Exeter stormed ahead. Sale brought them back a bit, but Exeter still won 19-12. Just a a last tiny little thought, Steve. You wrote about the championship promotion and relegation issue in the Sunday Times Mm. on the weekend. Mm. Doncaster have already appealed the decision Mm. not to allow them to come up on the grounds of their capacity and the minimum standards. Ealing we expect are going to come next. They've got 14 days to appeal. Mm. Just a, a quick thought on that to expand on what you wrote on Sunday. It, well, it's ridiculous that, that, that we're, we're now doing this when the season is almost over mm. and and the market for next season of players is all, is almost over. They've got to do this earlier. They, the, the two or three clubs who, come, who are at the top, they've got to go to them and, and be generous with them and say, right, what do you need? What do you want? This is what we need from you. This thing about, oh, sorry, we're going to tell you at the end of the season when you played 24 games and, and flogged your guts up to try and go up, where we're going to tell you when you've played 23 of the 24. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Sam, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's, I guess the URC Pro 12 14 has never had promotion relegation, mm-hmm. but it's a different vibe in England, hasn't, isn't it? I think the approach and relegation is a must. Um, but say there you're looking at like, like you know, Ealing got like a, well, from what I've seen, look, they got a reasonable setup. But mm. I think England, their massive blessing is, is that they've they've got this potential to have promotion and relegation. We can even dream of that in Wales. Yeah. I mean, we just haven't got enough good teams in Scotland and Ireland. So whatever's got to be done to try and get two competitive leagues as competitive as they possibly can. And like, of course, Premiership football is the standard. Like how good those leagues are in England and if you've got an amazing competitive championship league and I don't know that's it again I'm just plucking things out of the area but if there was some way to help those sides in the championship and you know all to have the potential to go up mm. and then you've got realistically two fully fledged professional leagues which can go up and down it's mm. it would be it would be phenomenal for the English game and you've got the player base to support it you know you yeah, can yeah, do yeah. it so it's England's massive blessing over probably maybe South Africa could do it you know they got a lot of teams but there's not many teams in the world who could even dream of this domestic situation that England have got so I think it's a it's a massive blessing for them I hope they do as much as they can to develop yeah. um, the championship well, well we'll round out the podcast there we've got a, a quick nomination for God of the Week from Jess Hayden our women's correspondent so we'll, we'll drop that in here and then we'll go for our ones as well so we have a quick thought on that 
This is Jess again and I have a nomination for God of the Week. It's Sam Knott. He's a player at Puddletown RFC in Dorchester and he won Mad of the Match over the weekend. But because he is six foot ten, he was too tall to join in the grassroots tradition of standing on a chair to down his pint after the match. So the rugby club actually removed part of the ceiling so he could still take part. It was It's a really funny video. You can find it on Twitter if you search for Puddletown RFC. But Sam is standing on this chair with his eyebrows and forehead in the ceiling, just seeing off his pint for winning Man of the Match. And I just love that. So my nomination is Sam Knott from Puddletown RFC. Steve, God, Goddess, my Devil, God, where God, are you going? God, I'm going back in time a little bit here. Billy Vanapola is playing as well as I've seen him. And yeah. Eddie's turned him down and said he's not committed and whatnot. I tell you what, go, go and ask uh, Lester about Billy's commitment. He was mm. tremendous. On, on Saturday so I'm going to go for Billy there you go um, just watching the highlights back of the, the Bath Bristol um, I'm going to nominate Tom de Glanville um, I thought was looked key in, in the Bath comeback and is a good young player who could have a decent future Sam nomination you can go God yeah. Goddess Devil what do you want to go for yeah for, forgive me for being a little bit well centric a couple right. of things no um Couple of things. I, I was really pleased to see Zamit just bounce back mm, and with yeah. enthusiasm for Gloucester and, and bag an impressive try, which is First the resilience touch, that, <laughs> yeah, the Wales coach would have wanted to see. But this is slightly an orthodox one, um, and surprisingly for Wales, Ellis Jenkins has been omitted from the Six yeah. Nations squad, and Josh Davidi has had one eighty minutes against Ulster, and has been parachuted straight back into the team for his teammate at his teammates' expense in mm-hmm. Cardiff Blues and. Uh, knowing how the coaches feel about Josh Navidi, the collision dominance that he brings, it would not be surprised if he starts against for Wales mm. against France. So I think he could end up being Wales's God of the Week because he's fit, he's back, and I think he's one of the players that Wales will be desperate to be fully fit to play France. So uh, mm. slightly unorthodox with his selection back into the Six Nations, but my God of the Week is the return of Josh Navidi. There you go. Sam's already transforming brilliantly into a journey he's throwing it forward to the next week he's not <laughs> yeah, looking backwards we're doomed well Sam it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and you can obviously read Sam's thoughts in the Times every week as well as Steve's in the Sunday Times he'll, he'll be at um, England Ireland I'll be there too covering it for the Times with Alex Lowe on the, for the Monday we'll have Sam in the ruck today and we'll have him in the scrum as well on the weekend so you, there's plenty more to come from Sam This has been The Ruck from The Sunday Times and The Times. We'll be here every week to bring you the best of the rugby action. Thank you so much for downloading. Please follow, subscribe, review, be nice. But thanks for listening and see you all next time. Thanks for listening to The Ruck podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. They know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. And they're working with England and Saracens hooker Jamie George to help him build his business. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. 